um, I might be mixing the terms up, but they have their own separate uh, thread, or you can have the entire discussion take place within a single thread. Oh yeah, right. And with the and with the rise of things like Slack now, where it's just one long thread, you can actually have four conversations kind of working together because people are responding yeah. to like text messages now. It's you know mm-hmm. it it's what makes this text based format so hard to deal with at times. Yeah, that free for all effect. Can you really have a dynamic conversation among a group of people if everybody is siloed off into their own separate threads? I think it depends. You're listening to Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. Discussion boards have been the interactive glue holding online courses together for decades. These asynchronous, threaded conversations have provided a means for learners to engage with each other and their instructors in a way that requires little bandwidth or technical know-how. In the very early days of online course development, the information and communications technologies necessary for rich multimedia learning materials and synchronous online activities were not widely available. Threaded text-based discussions emerged as the go-to solution for accomplishing the types of interactions commonly categorized as learner-learner, learner-instructor, and or learner-content. In a general sense, online discussions were employed as a way to emulate traditional classroom discussions, Socratic teaching activities, and Q&A sessions. This ease of use and comfortable instructional familiarity has ensured a persistent role for discussion board activities ever since. Discussion boards can be something of a chameleon, readily adaptable to serve any number of purposes, including administrative tasks such as posting general course announcements, to supporting the cognitive work of learning through application, analysis, reflection, or debate, and of course, as a means for building and maintaining a positive and reciprocal social environment. A 2007 case study investigating faculty perceptions of the purposes, goals, and objectives of online threaded discussions noted that creating a sense of social community was seen as a solution to counteract the, quote, isolation of the distant student. But they also anticipated that the development of a warm social environment would elicit a free exchange of ideas and provide exposure to students with diverse backgrounds and beliefs. Pedagogically speaking, discussion boards may also be designed as a vehicle for learners to develop and demonstrate important general skills such as critical thinking, problem solving, writing to academic standards, and modeling profession-appropriate discourse. However, leaning on discussions solely for their flexibility and utility may risk a loss of focus or lack of alignment to broader learning objectives. Another challenge to consider is the assessment process. Are discussions treated as analogous to classroom participation exercises or as a qualitative assessment of learning? Should instructors focus on criteria such as posting frequency, substantiveness and uniqueness, or adherence to prescribed writing standards, or essential demonstration of content knowledge? So let's dive in and discuss how to design and manage those discussion boards for maximum success. Welcome to this episode of Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. My name is Jeanette Senecal from the Academic Innovation Team at ASU's College of Nursing and Health Innovation. Discussing all the diabolical dimensions of discussion boards today are my colleagues, Celia Katraitiwa, Aaron Kraft, Stephen Crawford. All right, so here we are. It's 2018. Is there actually still a meaningful role for discussion boards and courses today? Or to put it another way, why are we still talking about text-based asynchronous forums as a dominant form of instructional technology? Yeah, why are we doing that? When I think back to when I started, the very first versions of what became known as learning management systems, all they had to do was have very few basic features. The ability to post a document, usually a Word doc of your class notes or or AKA lecture, maybe the PowerPoint slides, have the ability to do an online quiz, uh, accept a document for uh, a grading, uh, and then 
a discussion board. That tool has now become a learning activity. You know, I, I don't know of any other tools that are now also known as learning activities at the same time when you think about it in that context. And that was over 20 years ago. And we're still talking about discussion boards today because that was what the four things your basic class had. And now we've grown beyond that in so many ways except discussion boards. I just read an article put out by Campus Technologies IT Trends called The Starters for Digital Leadership in Higher Ed. And in this article, Dr. Samuel Kahn, President and Chief Executive Officer for Nonprofit Technology Consortium NJ Edge, talks about the route to personalized instruction. And he mentioned that he believes that there are three generations of digital online instructional design. The first wave being the text-based design in the learning management system. The second being adding in the videos and other types of learning pieces. And then now we're moving into personalized instruction. When I read this article, it made me think about how a lot of our courses are still stuck in that first generation and we're still just starting to move into getting more of those online lectures happening in an effective way. And I think about why that is. And I Go to the techno-literacy part of it. How literate are we of the technologies that we're trying to implement? And are we ready for, we're still starting to go into the augmented reality and the virtual reality, but how many people are actually out there and ready for that when we're still trying to master that first generation of text-based design and moving into that second generation of adding in the more interactive pieces? Yeah, I would say that there's still a preeminence of text-based communication in the internet age. Look how popular memes are, uh, text on images. So I don't see a problem with discussion boards in 2018, which I'm glad I didn't say 2017. (laughs) I've been writing it wrong the past few weeks. I think there is a role for it to play, for uh, discussion boards to play. For me, the problem would would be the inner interface. I don't want to start complaining about the learning management systems, but I know some of them just don't have a very user-friendly interface, and they're still maybe stuck in the mid-2000s or even before where we should be maybe updating the fluidity of the design. And I think sometimes that keeps people from being able to act or interact as easily um, as they would like to. Because we're used to, you know, we're used to Twitter, we're used to Facebook, instantaneous posts, and being able to see that and have it come into your news feed, you know, instantaneously. And it's hard to do that with the discussion board uh, interfaces and some of these learning management systems. But from a pedagogical standpoint, I still think that discussion boards help to reduce the isolation that Jeanette had brought up in the, uh, in the introduction. That transactional distance, that sort of psychological distance that's all too common within an online course. And furthermore, I would say that they help to promote or they're a tool for promoting instructor presence within the online classroom through uh, allowing the instructor to facilitate discourse and direct instructions by interjecting themselves into the discussions that the students might be having with each other. So I still think there is a role for them to play. I would just like to see the interface upgraded to something that's 2018. You know... I, I struggle with that same problem with the discussion board tools is that they are so 10, 15 years ago because of the fact that they haven't been updated to anything but text base. But the discussion board activity itself is still, unfortunately, poorly designed too often. And I say that because 
you know, again, going back to when we started with this in the 90s, the idea was that the classroom, we were trying to replicate the classroom for, in the online environment. And obviously, we talk about stuff in the classroom. So therefore, let's have a discussion board. And we really haven't developed good discussion board prompts on a consistent basis. Some of my favorite classes that I've taken as a student had well-designed designed discussion board prompts. Some of the worst classes I've taken had poorly designed discussion board prompts. And when you look at the tool, if we were to do something more modern, let's think about audio, video, et cetera, the problem with that is that's a slower throughput for information. Having to, If I had a poorly designed discussion board prompt and as a student I had to listen to a bunch of other students talk through audio, video of what the answers were, that'd be very painful. Reading them is bad enough, but at least I can do that quickly. Those are some interesting points that you bring up. Um, I just wanted to add on to Aaron's comment about transactional distance. I agree, but also in a way, discussion boards do promote an appropriate level of transactional distance, maybe because it's not like text messaging and Facebook and it's not uh, instantaneous. People do at least have to think a bit, uh, ideally, before forging forward with a reply. So maybe that's part of the... Ideally. Yeah, ideally. <laughs> maybe that's part of the value. I wish I had a couple of studies with me here that from, from the old days. I remember as we were trying to sell the validity of discussion boards, uh, there were some comparison studies to of using case studies in a classroom with a, a, a group versus an online group. And, and the online discussion boards were much more valuable in the end because you had a record of the conversation, whereas in a classroom, if someone didn't write it down, it didn't get remembered. So in the, you know, a lot of times discussion boards can lead to very valuable discussions. It's just coming down with the right prompts. Yeah, and administratively and logistically, it, it's it's manageable. Whereas you pointed out with some audiovisual techniques, it it just may be purely a time issue. That's a great transition. We acknowledged in the introduction the importance of evaluating the purpose and aligning those discussions to the broader course objectives. But at that granular level, how do you develop the best possible prompts or questions? Where do you start? Well, oh, go ahead, Sue. No, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, you said, where do you start? And I am more of the mind lately to recommend starting discussion boards with an inductive task. And what I mean by that is uh, often the first discussion board prompt will be introduction. Tell us about yourself, right? And that's fine. But I would take it one step further and say, tell me something as the instructor, I would prompt, tell me something that you know about this topic. For example, if this is an audio engineering course, I might say, uh, give me an example of a song or a movie that you appreciate the audio quality of and t tell me why you think, oh, what about that you like? You know, something like that, right? Obviously, flesh it out much better than that. But the purpose is that you, the learner has a chance to uh, see what they know about the topic uh, and confirm what they can bring to the table. And then they also get oriented to where the course is going to lead in the future. Right. So you get oriented to the topic and you see what you know about it. And I think it's a nice sort of gentle way to push people into the discussion board. I would say that you have to start with your purpose. So what is the reason for your discussion board? What are you trying to get out of it? Are you using it as an assessment tool to see what the learner knows and what kind of mastery they have of that? Is it going to be for application of the topic that they're talk you're talking about within the course? Or is it merely just to see how well they can 
talk about the course within a discussion. I always think it should definitely be open-ended. There shouldn't be a closed, you know, question where there's an ultimate answer, leaving room for some critical thinking, and then possibly an opinion, because that's what allows for the instructor to be able to see what type of understanding or level of understanding the uh, learner has in that specific topic. It also allows room for a discussion to occur if you're adding in an, an opinionated answer, it allows others to be able to respond and have something to respond to. Whereas if you have a closed question, there really isn't much that you can respond to if you're asking for people to reply to posts. I think the opinions are extremely important. It, you know, it needs to be fact-based opinions, though. And the reason why I say that is because I think some of the best discussion boards I've seen tend to be at the graduate level where you're asking people to apply a concept to a specific context. And, and so I, I always think back to my instructional design courses and we would say, oh, we would do X, Y, and Z because we're higher ed. This is how we do things. And then somebody would chime up and go, yeah, that's never going to happen in my K-12 environment. And then someone else would come in and then some, and then you'd have a discussion on why or why not that could happen. And then you would just have to discuss how you could do something like that. Then you would have someone talk about corporate education or military training. And so you end up getting a lot of perspectives. And that, I think that's, that's always been my, my go-to favorite examples of, of my experiences with discussion boards. But too often I've seen where essentially the discussion board is a 500 word essay. That's the prompt is essentially write a 500 word essay. Well, why not just write that as a paper and submit it to the instructor? Yeah. I, I'd rather see case studies be done. I'd rather see some sort of debate, uh, controversial topics. Those are my favorite areas to do a discussion board. I think the concept of let's have two discussion boards every week is overkill, especially if they're poorly, if they don't have good prompts to, to really uh, forge that discussion. Those are great points. I also love the opportunity for discussion boards to bring in some opportunity for reflection, but meaningful reflection. There's a point at which in some discussions where it's really helpful for an instructor to step in and add just a couple comments here and there to help tie things together and, and really prompt some closure, especially with those difficult topics and prompts. And, and I think it's important for the instructor to be in there and kind of just kind of poke the bear a little bit and, and make things spin out of control. You know, the students think they've got it all figured out, drop a what if bomb on them and, and watch the students take it from that direction and, and what happens next. I think that's what you do in the classroom if, if the discussion petered out. And, and I think it's an important feature that the, that the instructor needs to be involved. Yeah, those constructive cognitive challenges can be quite important. So, Stephen, to implement something like that, would you recommend like a thread-based approach where the entire discussion takes place within a single, a single forum? Yeah, I mean, you know, and that's what makes discussion boards such an interesting challenge is, you know, they're all now pretty much threaded discussion boards now. And so you have some branches of the conversation that can be highly active and some that are just never take off. And and some of the ones that never take off can be the most interesting ones, just that nobody mind it. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's you know, and then some people just ignore that because it wasn't their thread. So that it's one of those missed opportunities sometimes, and it's really hard to manage. Well, there's two kinds, right? You can have where everybody maybe posts in their own separate. Um, I might be mixing the terms up, but they have their own separate uh, thread, or you can have the entire discussion take place within a single thread. Oh yeah, right. And with the and with the rise of things like Slack now, where it's just one long thread, you can actually have four conversations kind of working together because people are responding yeah. to like text messages now. It's you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it it's what makes this text based 
format so hard to deal with at times. Yeah, that free-for-all effect. Can you really have a dynamic conversation among a group of people if everybody is siloed off into their own separate threads? And I realize for organizational purposes, especially for large classes, you might not have a choice, but I'm just curious to get some opinions. I think it depends. I mean, I think it goes back to that focus. If you have um, perhaps small groups of students working on maybe a debate model, Mm. it might make sense to kind of have them in their own little areas and then bring them together for a larger conversation to close things off. The jigsaw approach. Yeah. Is that what that's called? I would say it is because you're taking a larger discussion and then bringing pieces out of it to pull in a more... It kind of scaffolds the the conversation. It gives the instructor an opportunity to direct the conversation yes. towards maybe a sort of academic end uh, or an objective, related objective for the course. And narrows it down, brings out a, a smaller focus, or this is probably more of an, another approach, but to the jigsaw, but adding, um, adding in a prompt from the instructor through the discussion thread that's already happening that says, you know, what's something that someone hasn't said in this discussion? You're encouraging more thinking to happen based off of what's been said and then trying to pull out more information from them. So you're encouraging a, a little more thinking on their part. I'm just recalling how I've seen discussion boards set up both ways and the pros and cons. So I find that the discussions can be quite robust if it's taking place in a single thread. However, it's if you have a lot of participants or even just a few participants who are really chatty and always replying to every other post, it gets tricky to track the conversation, right? Whereas if everybody's in their own siloed separate thread, then at least you can keep track of those conversations, even though they're, they may not be as dynamic and robust. So. I think it goes back to the Which purpose, though. Purpose. I mean, you, mm-hmm. yeah, you really have to think about what the purpose of that discussion post is going to be for. And, and so many of our designs are make an initial post and, and we hide the entire discussion board so you can have an original thought that you, without seeing anybody else's, even if you're the last person to post. And now you're starting your own thread. And, and now it's revealed oh, you came to the party late and you're the fifth person that came up with this idea. So you're the fifth thread on this topic and it's taking off on thread two because that one got far more robust. Well, that's just how it goes. My problem lately has been just so many students just coming to the party late, for lack of a better term. They they ignore the initial posting deadline. They make their init- their their required response posts and you ask them questions and they never respond. And and it's one of the most frustrating things. It's it's like, this is not supposed to be a drive-by activity. You're supposed to come here and participate throughout the week. That's why it's an online course. And I think that's been a lot of frustration, even on well-designed discussion boards, just getting the students to participate. Yeah, that time-phasing aspect can be quite difficult. And all of those points are a great segue to our next question to consider. One of the challenges that we as instructional designers frequently hear about is how to make sense of that logistical side of a discussion board, uh, particularly for your higher enrollment courses. What tips and tricks do you have for managing the structure, minimizing the chaos, and or streamlining the grading and assessment process? I would say small groups, the probably the easiest way to manage some of those larger classes and numbers. Yeah, I appreciate the divide and conquer approach, especially for the larger classes. Uh, I also appreciated when I was in my graduate program, taking turns as a mediator. 
So our group would have, we would be in a group of maybe 10 people and we would have to rotate out who was in charge of the discussion for the week. Now the instructor gave the prompt, but for example, I had to steward the conversation, so to speak. And that I found to be actually a valuable learning experience. So I would say divide and conquer and allow for student mediators, though I'm maybe reluctant to offer that advice for a lower level course. I think there has to be a certain level of maturity or, you know, maybe you have a small class size, then you can get away with it. But um, it's probably something for the higher level courses. I would also say a topic based design with those small groups where maybe the prompt is topic specific. So each group has a discussion on a different piece of the content, but then they have the ability to go back into other groups and continue those discussions. So they're still talking about the same things. So you might differentiate between the primary topic they're developing versus the responses they're offering to some of the other groups, perhaps? Yes. So they they each get a topic, they discuss on that topic, but then they have the chance to go back to other groups, see what their topics are about and respond. Cross-pollination? Yes. Any other tips and tricks? You know, I I am using fewer and fewer discussion boards than I used to. Going back to, to it's one tool in your toolbox I think the idea of a weekly discussion board is is probably often not a good idea. So I try to use it like I would use essays. I wouldn't have my students write essays every single week because I'm not a writing intensive course. Um, so therefore, I, I kind of mix it up a little bit. And so I try to be very focused on trying to use a case of some sort, you know, some sort of case study. And whether that's introduced with a video or an actual case study written up by somebody, you know, or, or myself. It, just to give a starting point of of where you're at and how to apply this in different situations, I I think that by limiting the use of discussion boards, it helps because again, it, it it reduces the fatigue. And for me, it's more of a formative assessment as well. It's a chance to see how students are going to apply the knowledge, how they're going to discuss it, so that I can get an idea of where their where their knowledge level and mindsets at before doing a major assignment, so I can help correct. Those are good insights. One of the things that I've had some success with uh, in a lower level undergraduate course is to challenge them to link the readings in a double entry journal methodology. So in other words, each student for their primary post picks out a different passage from the text or whatever reading or case study they've been assigned. And that way, they even if they don't complete the entire reading, chances are they're going to be exposed to some of the other material that their peers are posting about. I would say when it comes to streamlining grading, I always appreciate when I see a rubric sitting in there. I've also seen where faculty have created models of discussion boards that they would expect to see within their course. So they can see what type of answering they want to see, what what kind of thinking process that they want to see out of their posts. So it's not just, you know, short answers, quick. I agree. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) The scourge of all discussion boards. I agree. Yeah. Me too. Uh, The other thing I would say is going back to those dates and being very explicit as to when they need to have posts created, when they need to have those replies done. That just helps with the structure and minimizing the chaos. I I love those dates and I hate them at the same time because it's so unnatural for a discussion, but at the same time, because of how we're grading things online, they're required. 
I agree. And it's so frustrating. I would love to see an LMS be able to do double dating. So if you have a discussion board, you have the ability to close off the original post date and then the reply date. Right now, there isn't one that has that, but I would that love would to be see a new that. Feature. A tiered dating system. I'm you sure they'd it, find I'm a way around it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but, you know, I also worry about the lurkers, um, the students who who tend to be more thoughtful. And I think discussion boards is a great tool for those students who, are, who like to be thoughtful, who don't react to in-class discussions where we're talking. They'd rather take some time to digest what they're seeing and reading and hearing and then go look things up and give a thoughtful response. I think discussion boards online provide that opportunity, but at the same time, it discourages it because a lot of those individuals just don't like speaking up and putting their name out there in the first place. So it's something I think they'd be mindful of is the different student types that we have, how, how some are definitely more out there than others. And some, usually some of your quiet, not usually, but sometimes some of your quietest students in the classroom can be the loudest ones on the discussion board in a good way. And sometimes it doesn't necessarily work out that way. It's, it's hard to tell what students will do. Yeah, I, I, that was me. I was never one to speak up in the classroom. However, I really did enjoy fleshing out the material, relating it to what we read in the book and making sound arguments over the course of time. I needed a couple days, at, you know, ideally to put it all together. And I felt very confident in what I was putting out there. However, I was always, or often I should say, disappointed because early posters get all the attention. So if I wasn't one of the first ones to respond within the first few days that the discussion board opened, which I hardly ever was, but I wasn't last minute either, but I wasn't one of the first, I would I'd get maybe one or two people with an I agree underneath my, <laughs> where the real discussion's happening with the first few posts. So a little insight there into those dynamics. Maybe in your reply, you could refer them to your post. Like, <laughs> Actually, I never <laughs> thought of that. If you read my Great post, <laughs> I suggested or I, I mentioned. I'm going to do that. <laughs> You're welcome. If there's a next time. Thank you. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I agree. Thumbs up, everyone. Smiley face. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because now we're seeing, you know, thanks to iTunes, you know, different LMSs are incorporating a five-star rating where you can rate other people's posts and you can give them a thumbs up and different things. Yep. And, you know, and I, there's part of me that likes that, the thumbs up at least, but the, the five-star rating, I just, there are times I'm like, no, I don't think students should be rating other students' posts. Could lead to some unintended consequences. Yes. Possibly. All of Aaron's posts getting one star. Exactly. <laughs> I, only one time did I participate in a discussion where or we no were star. rated, and I think I hit a solid three to five the whole time. Thank you very much. <laughs> Good to know. I, For I those remember. ones that just go down the line and hit three, 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 or five, well, no. five, 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 five. <laughs> I think basically posting little to nothing or like, and I agree would have got you a one, but. Uh. <laughs> wow. Quality over quantity there. I was proud of myself. What can I say? <laughs> All right, gang. Do you have any other tools or approaches to recommend in place of traditional text-based discussion boards? And how do you go about evaluating their fit? One of my favorite alternatives is a tool called UCU. And what I like about it is it takes away some of the thoughtfulness of a discussion board. And what I mean by that is sometimes in an online course, you want the student to respond quickly. And so therefore, the student is given a video prompt and then essentially they're and once the video prompt finishes, they have five seconds 
to get their thoughts together before the camera turns on and the microphone and they're recording their answer and they have 60 seconds to be succinct. I like things like that, especially when the, when the goal of the course is that you know this material and you can react well and apply it quickly. So as opposed to, oh, I can read a discussion board post, think about it for three or four days and then write something. I like that snap judgment sometimes. I'm going to say it. Facebook, closed groups, I find that it's motivating for the learners. I, I see the faces in here. The listeners can't see the uh, grimaces that I'm looking at right now. But <laughs> hate you so much right now. <laughs> There's, yeah, I, I, I don't know. That's, but I'm going to go out there because I noticed that students where we uh, would implement a Facebook discussion group, they were quite involved. And oftentimes the instructors would tell me that the, the group lived on even after the course finished. Right. So I, you're seeing to me, that's sort of a natural bonding, for lack of a better word, of the students. And I think that's uh, that's something that's you know, can be there, useful, can be valuable. Yeah. There is a fair point there about extending the boundaries of the environment for learning in a way. You're, you're encouraging that discussion to go beyond the immediate of, oh, I'm going to sign into a course and go to a thread and click on a reply. So there, there's something there. It would have to be structured so it's not just these uh, mindless replies as, as Facebook is <laughs> is uh, off to do. But anyways, that's my that's one of my suggestions. I also like Yellow Dig, which we're I don't know if we're still testing here at ASU or if we're actually implementing it now. But uh, I, I thought and it, it looks similar to Facebook, but it's yellow instead of blue. <laughs> and I'm sure there's a couple of other features that are different. No, but really, I, I thought it was a cool tool and it facilitated the discussion experience a little bit easier than uh, the learning management systems discussion tool. Well, you also have video style tools like VoiceThread that allow you to record your discussions and then allows others to comment through video. I'm also a fan of, I don't know how if this would necessarily replace discussion boards, it kind of goes in the same way text-based, but through wikis or Google Docs where you can build upon each other's comments and just have a, a laid out document of how you're continuing that conversation. And what's your favorite tool, Jeanette? All the things. I haven't heard of that one. <laughs> what you said. <laughs> but you know, I think, I think it goes back to the point though that tools are great. They're a lot of fun, but the discussion board activity itself, if it's not designed well, the tool doesn't matter in the end. Yes. Agreed. Purpose. Objectives. The end. Make a match. Totally. All right. Well, we've certainly explored many aspects of the good old discussion board today. Thank you for sharing all your insights and tips for making this common pedagogical practice as effective as it possibly can be. And if you, our audience, would like to share your favorite strategy for engaging students in robust discussions, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter. Thank you for deliberating on discussions with Celia Kuchwatiwa, Stephen Crawford, Aaron Kraft, and myself, Jeanette Senecal. As always, we are extremely appreciative of our talented producer, Ricardo Leon, who ever so patiently captures our pedanticness. <laughs> you can reach us on Twitter at IBD underscore podcast. That is IBD as an instruction by design underscore podcast, or you can email us at instructionbydesign at asu.edu. To find previous episodes, please visit our website at links.asu.edu slash IBD underscore podcast. This podcast was produced by Arizona State University's College of Nursing and Health Innovation.